Okay, we're working our way through the book of Judges, and we have come through one of the really famous stories, story of Samson, and now we come to Judges chapter 17 and 18. And when you read it, your first thought is, well, somebody tacked this on the end. Because we don't, sometimes in the book of Judges, we don't know uh, chronological order. And sometimes I think it's probably backwards. Things get switched around. And so uh, they're just telling the stories that they want to tell. And when they come to this part, there's a, I have in my books a very learned document about the validity of the book of Judges as a whole, should it be in the Bible, and various reasons why after Samson they should have quit. <laughs> and I'm always convinced these people love the sound of their own voice most of all, and so they just talk and write it down, and we're all supposed to listen and think it's good. It's not good. It's a silly concept. Uh, as if God made a mistake when he was writing the Bible. So we come to this uh, section, and there are no more judges to talk about. Uh, we've talked about the famous ones, all of them we've gone through pretty much. We've talked about some of the famous ones, Gideon and Samson and Deborah and Barak, and some of the ones you know less of. We spoke of those two and then we come now to the end. And I've said as we've been going through, uh, the judges represent people who believed in God, who stepped up and did what they should do, and trusted God, and God helped them. And so that's a good part of the book. But the other side of the book is these people. The people in the book of Judges who didn't do well at all. They took Samson, for heaven's sake, and and uh, uh, turned him over to the Philistines, tied him up and turned him over to the Philistines. Nice guys, you know. And uh, when Gideon had uh, turned that whole army, Midianite army, out of Israel, and they're escaping, uh, he stopped and asked for food. Eh, we're not giving you any food. <laughs> so uh, the people this time are, don't shine at all in the book of Judges. And with Samson, they could care less. They don't even care about being delivered. And he's all by himself fighting the Philistines. So uh, the people in the book of Judges are the theme, really, that underlies the whole uh, time frame. What happens? Moses leads them out of Egypt through the wilderness up to the promised land. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And that's a very promising generation the ones that took over the promised land. And then for 400 years, they just kind of frittered it all away. And it's a shame that they turned out that way, but there's a lesson in it for us. Now we come to 17. Some people say it shouldn't even be in the book, and I think it may be some of the most instructive yet as we've come to about uh, the people, 
but more than that, applying it to our situation just so happens that we are in a particularly unusual situation right now. And I don't have to explain that to you. You all know it's a crazy world. And uh, this applies very well to our situation. And so uh, God knows. God knows. He puts things in the Bible and you say, well, where's the famous guy? Where's the great exploits? Where's... Well, it's not, most of our lives aren't great exploits, are they? None of you have become famous by fighting armies or by doing anything. We're just East Shelby. <laughs> Here we are in East Shelby. We're just regular old people. And so uh, we need to read about regular people. And now we're about to go into uh, a guy whose name is Micah. And uh, Micah... Uh, well, how does he get to be famous? Well, he's not famous. He's not famous at all. But it tells a good story, and it's very applicable to the time in which we're living. So here we go. The story of a guy you never cared about before. And uh, the, the author is, I've told you that the author of Judges is an excellent author. I think some of the best writing historically that we find in the Bible, excellent writing, and he comes to this one, and he's gonna uh, expect you to step up, expect you to pay attention, and he writes very well, so you can read between the lines and see if you get what's going on. He doesn't come out and tell you; he just says, "Here's what happened. You, know, you figure it out," and so. Uh, read carefully as we go along and we'll see what happens. Here we go. Judges 17. There was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursed, and spaketh also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. <laughs> and when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Uh, yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who uh, made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods, made an ephod, a teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. And then here's the point of it. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We're going to repeat that phrase over and over and over again because you're going to think about that phrase. It's an important phrase. There is no king. There is no king. There is no unifying force in Israel far as a human being goes. The judges were usually judges in their own area. Uh, Samson judged down by the Philistine territory. Gideon, he's farther north. and The other ones are in various places, but there's no unifying force in the nation of Israel. There's no king to pull everybody together. So people do basically whatever they want. And that's what this is about, people doing whatever they want. So, we got a guy named Micah, and uh, 
His mother is really mad. She's cursing and cursing and she's saying, boy, whoever took that money, they're gonna get it. I curse, I bring curses on them. And she's really having at it. And he finally gets, <laughs> gets under his skin a little and he said, wow, if these curses come true, I'm in trouble. He stole his mother's money. Now, it's 1,100 shekels of silver, which is a pretty good sum. She's been saving probably her whole life, holding his money, saving, scrimping, and saving. And then she gets up one day, and it's gone. There's my money. Curses on whoever stole my money. May they die a thousand deaths. <laughs> and she's going on and on and on cursing whoever stole the money, and it's her son. He took it. So he finally gets nervous. He says, look, Mom, I got your money. I took it. Now she says, bless you, bless you, bless you, son, for, for giving it back. God bless you, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> so how's that look to you so far? What a mess. He's stealing from his own mother. Right? She's been saving her whole life. She's a very pretty large sum of money. It's what they paid Delilah to take out Samson. And uh, it was a lot of money. She saved it her whole life. And her son stole it. Can you imagine? I, there probably are sons that do that. I have heard of those things before, but not in my house. <laughs> I'm gonna put, you know, you, you want to die if you ever, you know. I, and, and the concept of stealing from your mother is really a pretty twisted concept. So we have some moral dilemmas, obviously. He doesn't mind stealing from his mother. So when he admits, I took your money, it's all oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. That's not what she should have said. She should have graduated a year and said, what's the matter with you? What would you do that for? What were you thinking, stealing from your mother? She said, oh, bless you, my son. Why? Because she just wants the money. <laughs> she doesn't care how her son turns out. She wants the money. And what she says in, in specific is, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. So when it's gone, and she doesn't know where it is, that was the Lord's money. I gave that money to God, and I, boy, God will get you if you don't give it back. That's probably what made him give it back. So she said, I dedicate that money to the Lord. And I wanted the Lord to have it. Now she's got it back, so she's thinking. Well, probably ought to do something, because I said I gave it to God. So we'll take like a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> You're going to save 1,100, uh, had 1,100 shekels. We'll take a couple hundred of them. So did she really dedicate it to the Lord? Nobody can tell the truth here in this family. He can't tell the truth that he stole the money. She can't tell the truth that she just wanted it back so she could have the money. 
And then she says, well, I dedicate it to the Lord. Well, okay, here's the money back. Well, maybe not all of it. <laughs> Nobody can tell the truth. They're a mess. This family's a mess. So she says, well, okay, I dedicated to the Lord, but we're going to take 200 shekels, and we're going to make a graven image. Now, there's a lot of people who say, and I think there's probably some truth in it, they say that uh, when people at this time worshipped Jehovah, that uh, they needed to make a little image. Now, you've heard of this before, right? They came out of Egypt, and Moses goes up on a mountain for four weeks, and, uh, and, it, and then they said, well, we don't know that Moses is gone, so we ought to make a god. And so they bring all their gold, and Aaron throws it in the fire, and it comes out. They say, it's a calf. Look, it's a golden calf. And they're worshiping the golden calf. And that's where Moses comes down, smashes the Ten Commandments, melts it back into liquid, pours it in the water, and makes them drink it. He got pretty mad, he got pretty mad that day. All right, so that's, they said, well, this is a God that brought him out of Egypt. We can't see him. We can't see Moses. We don't know where he is. We don't know where God is, so we'll make God we can see. And so people say, well, uh, you know, uh, Micah and his mom are just making a God that they can see. They really do believe in Jehovah. All right, so that's what some people say. Uh, and I think probably in their mind that, is what they were thinking, too. Because, he said, verse 5, And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons. So he's, he's going to do a copy. Uh, he's going to make a copy of what he's seen at the tabernacle. At the tabernacle. Well, in the tabernacle that Moses made... And it's now, the tabernacle is located in Shiloh, which is not far from where they live. Actually, not far at all. Uh, the tabernacle is in Shiloh. It's a tent. And you know the layout of the tent. We've done it many times. Uh, door comes in. you got an altar of sacrifice. you got the curtain. And then uh, there's a little altar of incense, a table of showbread and the lampstick over this side, then a heavy curtain, and then the Ark of the Covenant. And in there are priests. Uh, the high priest has to be uh, a relative of Aaron. Either Aaron was the first high priest, and his sons and family that were all came, high priests came from his family. Uh, Levites, tribe of Levi, Aaron was the tribe of Levi, uh, but the Levites, the other people in that family, served in the temple as um, people who sacrificed, people who brought wood, people who kept the candles lit, baked the bread, did all the chores that needed to be done there, and that was their job in the temple. So he's going to make a copy of it. He said, oh, I kind of like to do that in my house. So he's got his own house. And he makes an ephod. An ephod is a, a fancy piece of clothing, actually plain, 
piece, but they could make some fancy. So he makes a special robe to be worn when they're in his house doing the things. And he makes a teraphim, which is a little idol. You can use the right words to describe it. It's a little idol. And teraphim was something you might even maybe small like this that you could carry it around. You know, you've heard the one where you rub it and talk to the genie. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You're going to rub the magic lamp or whatever. Well, they uh, made small idols. They used to keep them behind the doors. And the idea was you want to pray, you can, you know, ask this idol here. Ask him, what's up? Tell me what to do. Tell me what I should do. And in the temple in the original one they had uh, something called Urim and Thummim which I have mentioned just recently Urim and Thummim uh, which were two stones on a breastplate that the high priest wore and when he had the question to ask God he was going to put this breastplate on go in the tabernacle and ask God and put his hands over breastplate Urim and Thummim and say God I need some answers I need some help that's what it was for and so the little idol that he makes for his copy is sort of an Urim and Thummim you can talk to it you can pray to it so the only thing you need is a priest so he takes his son says you're my priest so I got everything I need I got the idols I got the priest He's got a special clothes. We're all set. We're ready so we can have God in our house. And so he said, well, that's good. Shouldn't you have God in your house? You ought to. You better have God in your house. You, you especially need God in your house. I want God in my house. I talk to him all the time there so I know he's there. Okay, and God is in your house. And you make your house appropriate for God to be there. You don't make it so that uh, he's not comfortable there. Uh, you can't have certain books and magazines, and you can't look at certain movies. And there's things you can't do if you're going to have God in your house. And if you ever have a question about that, just imagine what it would be like if Jesus walked in your house and said, Hi. Stop for a visit. Well, wait a minute. i got to hide this. No, 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 no. can't have those things in your house. Your house has to be clean. So if you want to have God in your house, that's okay. That's all right. So uh, everything's good, right? Mike has got God in his house. They're all set, right? No, 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 no. We showed, first of all, the moral decay of the family itself. Nobody can tell the truth. He steals from his own mother. She gets it back and says, it's all God, but here's 200. <laughs> uh, uh, let's make an idol. No. It's, if you're going to do this kind of thing, you're going to say, well, I'm going to make every, my house like a little temple. You've got to redefine, redefine, that's what we're talking about. We're going to redefine religion. Change the meaning of it. We're going to say, here's what it is, and it's not there. So, first of all, 
what's wrong with the whole thing? Well, first of all, they made an idol, and th that is really out. Exodus chapter 20, you know what that is. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, there's certain things that God said, thou shalt not, don't do this, don't do this. It's the list of the ten things on there that God said he really didn't want people doing. And the first one, Exodus 20, verse 1, God spake all these words, saying, I'm the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or in the earth beneath and in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So, God says, you will not ever make something and say, look, there's God. You will never do that. I never want you to make any graven image of any kind you're not going to do it. And he's going to repeat it again if you look over in Deuteronomy. It's kind of an interesting one in chapter 27. He's going to repeat it. And this time Moses said, we're going to make it fancy this time. And so he takes half the nation of Israel. And there's a mountain here and a mountain here. And half of you go on that mountain. And the other half go on this mountain. And... Uh, the Levites are going to read these words. And you're all going to shout, Amen, from the mountains. And they get done reading. Here's what it is. Uh, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 27. Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you come over Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. These shall stand on Mount Ebal on the other side. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven image or molten image, an abomination of the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and put it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. There you go. So he said, I'm not fooling. I want everybody in this whole nation gathered on two mountains side by side. And he's going to say, Curses on the man who makes an idol. Amen. Echoing back and forth. Amen. Nobody's going to. Why? Why not? Why not? Because God expects you to have faith in him. You say, well, I can't see him. Yeah, that's the point. You can't see him. You can't hear him. But you would believe he is here listening. You say, well, it would be nice if I could see him. No, <laughs> no, no. You cross that line. You're not looking at him or any representation of him. And there's a lot of people who think that in some churches, you know, the stained glass windows get to be idols. And I think it may have some truth in some of that, those things. Uh, there, there, there are 
places. I remember when I was looking for a church, I went to a little Catholic church. They told me it was going to come up for sale. And uh, I went into a service. And across the front, there were seven idols or statues. <laughs> there were seven of them. I think there's no room for me up there. I, how can I do that? I mean, all the cold church was full of these statues across there. Some people don't look down on that. God said, no graven image, any kind, especially if you think it's me. I will not have it. You will learn to have faith and trust that I am here. And that's why I do things the way I do, because you're going to trust and believe in that which you cannot see. So we, there will be no idols. So when... Micah here makes, and his mom actually, have an idol made and stick it in there and say, yeah, we got a house of God. No, you don't. Not the one that God wants. God won't tolerate it. And God is still, to this day, going to expect you to trust that he is real and know that he is real without any, any senses involved. I can't see. I can't hear. I can't touch, but I believe that God is real. And that's what we pray in our services. Help us to know that God is real, that he's really here. And he does. I think he does that. He wants to do that. He's not going to bless an idol. So first thing, besides all their moral lying, little lies that they told, uh, now they've made an idol. Secondly, well, if we got an idol, we got God here in the house, we might as well uh, get a priest. Well, a priest would have to be a descendant of Aaron. Ah, I got a boy, he'll work. Come on, boy, you're going to be our priest. So he gets his son there. Well, he doesn't look like a priest, this looks like my son. So we'll make him a fancy robe. Well, he'll look like a priest. So now he's got a big fancy robe and he got the idols and the teraphim or little idols for advice, if you will. And everybody around town can come to Micah's house and says, I, I got the temple right here. I got it here. And so the idea, he now redefined it. Essentially, the main issue, other than the idol itself uh, is this. God said, and it stayed that way for 4,000 years, you will not sacrifice your sacrifices except for in the tabernacle. Now later on, Solomon would make a permanent building, a temple, and there'd be three temples throughout history. And uh, Herod's temple, the one that Jesus was in, they were still sacrificing in there at that time. That was the only place. That's why you read in the life of Jesus, everybody's always going to Jerusalem because they go there to sacrifice. They have to sacrifice in the temple. That's the way God said it's going to be. Why? Because you've got to get it out of your head that you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. Because God's going to make it so that there's one sacrifice and only one, which is Jesus on the cross. That's the only one. And so he's not going to tell you, go home and do it, you're all right. 
He doesn't do it. He won't do it. All right? And it says, it's always going to be in Shiloh. So they were supposed to go to Shiloh, and they were supposed to show up three times a year at the tabernacle. And at this time, in the book of Judges, people just didn't bother. Not going to go do it. So then something happens. Let's see what happens next. Verse 7. There's a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. Came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. So here's a man who's a Levite. He lives in Bethlehem, seven miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not where they sacrifice at this time. Shiloh, which is north of Jerusalem. But he's not that far from Shiloh. But he's supposed to be a Levite, which means he's supposed to serve in the temple. Number one. Number two, they are supposed to pay his wages. There's 11 tribes in Israel. And the instructions were these, these Levites were not going to give them property. You're going to pay their wages. And they're going to go down and work in the temple. And whenever you go there, they'll be there doing the Lord's work, and you're going to pay their wages. That's the way I expect it to be. Obviously, this poor fellow is not getting paid anything. He can't live anymore. He said, i got to go somewhere where I can survive. And so he said, i got to leave home, see what I can find. And so he's wandering a little ways off Mount Ephraim, just a little bit up uh, to the north there. And what does he find? Micah's house. Hey. Verse 9, Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? He said, I am come, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I might find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be to me a father and a priest. I'll give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, a suit of apparel, and thy victuals, or food. And so the Levite went in. The Levite was content to dwell with the man. The young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest. He was in the house of Micah. Now, let's show you how twisted it is. And then said Micah, now I know the Lord will do me good, seeing as I have a Levite to my priest. <laughs> so I got it figured out. No, this guy came walking by, find out he's a Levite, said, so come on in. I'll, you can live here, I'll feed you, I'll clothe you, I'll give you some money. I'll pay you, and you just be my priest. Hang around my house, and any priestly thing needs done, you can do it. And so then old Micah said, man, I know I got God on my side now because I got a real genuine Levite. Who was supposed to read, Cursed be any man that makes an engraving image of the Levite. It was their job, and the people on the mountains were going to yell back and forth, Amen, Amen, Amen. He knows better. But he's found somebody who's going to take care of him. Well, there's something wrong with that, isn't there? Why is he there? He isn't there to serve the Lord. He just wants somebody to pay him. Say, well, that's not so bad. Well, it's not so good here either because he's doing the wrong thing. 
So we have now an idol set up in a house and it's been given an air of legitimacy because they have a Levite, at least that's what they think. So now we're really good. We got everything we need. Everything is good. No, we don't. We have redefined what God said to do and made it what we want. And this is really an important topic uh, today. We live in that kind of a situation today, and I think people have redefined very much uh, what God wants. And over the last little while, I have heard a lot of people have quoted to me a verse. If you look with me over in Titus chapter 3, all the T's are together, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. Titus chapter 3. <laughs> Titus 3 verse 1 put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work people have quoted that to me an awful lot lately they said well the government says you can't have the church open you gotta do what the government says the government says you can't Get together. Got to do what the government says. And, and I've been quoted that an awful lot lately. And I was listening as this first began to develop. And you heard the, the, the ministers come on the radio saying, it's time for something new. We're going to do something new. We're going to do something unique. Uh, we're going to now go online and talk to people online. That's how we're going to do it now. Well, there's a little problem with that. You say, what's wrong with going online? Well, nothing wrong with going online. That's not what I'm saying. But there's something that we kind of missed a little bit, and that's over in Hebrews, a few pages over, Hebrews chapter 10. I don't argue with people when they say that to me. A lot of people have said, well, you've got to obey the government. And, uh, but there's, there's one thing here that bothers me. Uh, here's, here it is, uh, Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are not supposed to forsake assembling. So, we got churches closed all over the place, no more services, and people saying, well, we got to obey the government. Well, what about that one? Don't you have to obey that one? Isn't that there, too? Isn't that something you're supposed to do? They're going to redefine it. I, I drive by this church every once in a while, and there's a great big sign in the front, and it says... The church is not a place, it's people. Well, when God said assemble together, that kind of indicates a place to me. Kind of indicates a place. 
And if we look at Matthew 18, Jesus said over there uh, something that you've heard lots of times, often repeated. And uh, it's another one of them we stopped repeating. <laughs> Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So Jesus said, people are going to gather together in my name. So now we're going to redefine gathering together. Now you can gather together from your couch, and you can rest in your easy chair and watch me on your thing. Okay, all right, for a while. Sometimes I don't disagree that some people needed to do that. But you can't keep it up. You're redefining what God said to do. God said assemble. He wants you to assemble. And he didn't say any way. Actually what he said, especially as you see the day drawing closer. Well, we live in a violent crazy upside down world and there's an awful lot of things that are saying hey didn't I read that in Revelation yeah we did we did and so he says particularly as you see the time come make sure you stick together so redefining things in particular like Micah does say I got a thing in my house I ain't got to go to Shiloh I'm okay I got this thing in my house. I got, I got a Levite. Heaven's sake, nobody else got one of them in their house. So we don't have to go to Shiloh anymore. And that was the whole issue. That's why the Levite had to leave, because nobody was going to Shiloh. Nobody was going to the temple like they were supposed to. And so the redefining of what's right, we change this, change it a little like that church, you know. The church is not a place, it's people. Well, okay, yeah, it is people, but it's people joining together in a place. It's always been that. That's not all of a sudden redefined and so that we can obey the government. Uh, we gotta somehow deal with that. And so uh, that's where this is an important passage over here in Judges because they're redefining religion to make it, number one, convenient. And people around Micah, hey, he's got this thing. You say, well, is, is that really a bad thing? Well, i explain it this way. There was a guy who lived right near here, and he was a real character. I liked him, but he was a real character. And I went to his house for some reason, and he had really, really bad feet. And so he crawled. He didn't walk. He, in his house, he crawled. And he said, follow me. So he crawled down the hall, and I walked after him. And went in his bedroom, asked me to go in there, and he opened his closet. And here's his closet covered with pictures of Jesus and crosses, anything you could think of. A lot of it was sort of Catholic in nature, but there's a whole closet just packed full of it. And he said, this is where I say my prayers. 
And you know, I didn't think that was a bad thing. I didn't think that was a bad thing. To think that he thought he needed to say prayers regularly and he wanted a special place to do it. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think that was a bad thing. If you want God in your house, that's a good thing. You got a place where you pray in your house, that's not a bad thing. And it was different. I've never seen anything like it before or since. Uh, but as I looked at it and I looked at him on his hands and knees because he didn't walk much, uh, I thought, well, you know, he's praying. That's a good thing. Now, the problem is there's certain things that God wants done, and you can't change those things. He said you will not make an idol because as soon as you do, that'll become more important to you than me. That'll become the thing, and that's always what happens. Say, so, well, we're going to have an idol, and it's going to remind us of God. No, it doesn't. Pretty soon that idol is more important than God. And God knew that. He said, if you're going to believe in me, I'm going to require you to not see and not hear and not touch, but still believe. What did Jesus say to his disciples? You got to see. You got to see me risen from the dead. You got to believe because you actually saw it. He said, I'm going to tell you that there's a blessed people who have not seen, but still believe talking about us. We didn't see the risen Christ, but we believe in him. All right, so you can't change it. God knows what he's doing, and God said you got to go to Shiloh. Just like God says today, you got to assemble. You got to assemble. You got to make sure you don't abandon that. So they just changed it up so that they could do it their own way. Chapter 18, watch them change again. See if you can catch a change here as they redefine. And we're going to learn something about when you redefine, there's a danger included in it, which we're about to see. Chapter 18. In their days, there was no king in Israel. Now he's going to say it again. There's no unifying force. All right, nobody kind of guiding the nation. People are doing whatever they want. In those days, the tribe of Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day, all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. So, that's a long time since Joshua. A couple, 300 years since Joshua. Joshua came in with the people, and he divided up the property of Israel. He said, this section belongs to Judah, and up north is Benjamin, and over here is the tribe of Dan, and there's Ephraim, and he laid out every border and gave the names of the cities that would go along with it. This is the promised land. This is what you've been promised. Now, we come to this passage, a long time had passed, and it says uh, these Danites, tri people of the tribe of Dan, uh, didn't have their inheritance. Why not? Didn't everybody else get it? What have they been doing? Let's see if we can see. Children of Dan sent to their family five men from their coast, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtola, to spy out the land, to search it. 
They said unto them, Go search the land, who, when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. So, they're going to look for property. And they come by Micah's house. When they were in the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? What makest thou in this place, and what hast thou here? And he said, and somehow they knew him. There's two possibilities. They actually did know him. They'd met him before, or uh, his speech is different, which could have been it too. And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealt Micah with me, and hired me, and I'm his priest. They said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord your way uh, wherein you go is the way wherein you go. So he said, yeah, you, you got God's blessing. I can tell you that right now. You go ahead and do what you got to do. You'll get God's blessing. How did he know? And who did he ask? He doesn't believe really very much in God if he's there uh, working among the idols, does he? And according to the Teraphim, as your King James says, the little idols is what they asked for advice. That's why they made little ones. You can carry it around. Hold it next to your heart. Ask God. Okay, what do you think there, Junior? These people are going to succeed, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. You can go and do it. Well, <laughs> then the five men departed and came to Laish, saw the people that were in, how they dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure. There was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything. They were far from the Zidonians, had no business with any man. So they come and they find this big valley and there's a city in this valley. It is technically part of uh, Tyre and Sidon along the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, but they're so far in that nobody goes there. There's no business trade there. Uh, there's no rulers there. So they're kind of on their own. And they just kind of relax and take it easy there. And they check out this town. Yeah, look at that. Nobody's around. No armies. Nobody's around. Kind of like the looks of this. Verse 8. They came to their brethren to Zor and Eshelon, and their brethren said unto them, What say ye? He said, Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, it is very good. And are you still? Be not slothful to go and enter and possess the land. When you go, you shall come to a people secure, to a large land, for God hath given it into your hands a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. So he said, We found this place. It's everything you want. Let's go take it. It's ours. And for then hence of the family of Danites and of Zorah out of Eshelah, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kerajerim in Judah, and they called the place Mahanadan unto this day, which is behind Kerajerim. These names are all important. If you had a map, you could see where they are, because the names of cities was the definition of the borders of their property that they were supposed to get. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Now they're going back that way. They're going by the house again. Then answered the five men that went out to spy the country of Lachish and said to their brother, Do you know that there is in these houses an ephod? 
teraphim and a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore consider what you have to do. And they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, a Levite, even to the house of Micah, saluted him. And 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. So there's a 600-man army come up to Micah's house. The five men went to spy out the land, went up, came in thither, took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. So they stole all his stuff. And these went to Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod, teraphim, and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, What do thee? What are you doing? They said unto him, Hold thy peace, lay thy hand on thy mouth, and go with us. Be a father and a priest. It's better for thee to be a priest in the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a family of Israel. The priest's heart was glad, took the ephod, the teraphim, the graven image, went in the midst of the people. So they turned and departed with the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. So he says, we're going to steal your idols and all your stuff here. We're taking it with us. And it would be good advice if you shut your mouth, come with us. Because after all, it's just in one guy's house here, and we're half of a tribe here, tribe of Dan. And so you should be priest to our tribe, not to this guy. As a matter of fact, we're going to take your stuff. So if you're, this stuff is important, you come with us. Okay, I'll go with you. So if he's going to get 10 pieces of silver and they offered him 11, it's all he needed. Right? What they offered him was a little bit of fame, a little bit of power. You know, you're just in one guy's house, come with us and you'll be an important man. Yeah, that's what I want to be, an important man. So off he went. Ah, see what Micah says about this. 22, and they were a good way from the house of Micah. The men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together, overtook the children of Dan. They cried to the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What ailed thee? What comest thou with such a company? What are you doing coming after us? He said, You have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest. You're gone away, and what have I more? What is this you say, what aileth thee? <laughs> you took my God. <laughs> it was, it was the, Moses and God had it just right. If you make yourself an idol, that'll become your God. And when they come and they steal the stuff, you stole my God. Yeah, he don't get it at all, does he? He just missed the whole point. You know, nobody can steal my God. Grab him. Find him where you can. Get a hold of him. See if you can steal him from me. You can't. Can't do it. But they stole his God because he... Got the idol. The children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. The children of Dan went their way. Micah saw they were too strong for him. He turned and went back unto his house. And they took the things which Micah had made, and the priests which he had came to Laish unto the people that were quiet and secure, smote them with the edge of the sword, and burnt the city. There was no deliverer, because it was far from Zidon, had no business with any man who was in the valley by Beth Rehob, and they built a city 
and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born under Israel. Albeit the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. House of God's in Shiloh. Dan has stolen an idol from Micah, set the thing up, and used this priest, this renegade priest now, uh, and uh, they said they set up their idol worship and their own little priest, and they kept them there when? Hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Now, here's the problem. And this is a serious problem. This little town that they went in, nice quiet little town, killed everybody and burned everybody out, took it over. This little town is outside of the borders of the promised land. It was never promised to them. They weren't supposed to go there. And that's part of the reason why everybody's so comfortable there, because it's not in the promised land. And when Joshua said, and you can read it back in Deuteronomy uh, and Joshua, he said, here's your property. And he gives the name of a series of cities that form a belt right across uh, it's, uh, Jerusalem is here, uh, the tribe of Dan had cities all along here. This is over here somewhere outside of the borders that they were ever supposed to have. So what'd they say? Let's go possess the land. They weren't possessing the land. They weren't possessing the promised land. They were going where they were never intended to go and instructed not to go. Went there anyway and murdered everybody. In the name of well, we got a God. We found him on the road as we were coming. We'll set him up when we get there because we're probably going to win this battle. There's 600 armed men going on a city that has no defenses out in the middle of nowhere in this nice valley. So we took over the valley, killed everybody, and we have redefined what God said. God said, here's the promised land. This is what's promised to you. Possess it. They didn't possess it for three or four hundred years. And all of a sudden, you know, we're getting pretty crowded. There's 600 of us here in this group, and we got no place to live. Why didn't you possess the land 200 years ago and before that with Joshua? Because they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in God. And when you were going in to possess the land of Canaan, if you believed in God, then God helped you. Proof? The walls of Jericho fell down. Right? Proof. That's proof. God said, you believe in God, let's go around the walls of Jericho, I'll fall down and you can take this city. And it happened place after place. Joshua's fighting in the valley of Agilon, and he says, God, hold that sun in that sky, I need a little time. That was a daring thing to say. 
And he said, stop that sun. And God stopped the sun in the sky while they finished the battle. And they were possessing the promised land. And when they trusted God, God said, give you everything you want. You can have place after place. Caleb says, there's a mountain. I want that mountain. They said, it's full of giants. The sons of Anak live there. Every one of them is nine or ten feet tall. I don't care. He said, I was 40 when I came here the first time. I'm 80 now. I can handle them guys. And he went up and he beat them all. Drove all the giants off the mountain. Because he's in the promised land. What God promised he could have. These guys, because they didn't trust God, and you had to trust God if you're going to drive out the inhabitants. They didn't trust God, so they didn't drive out the inhabitants. So finally there's a whole group of them with no place to live. We've got to find a place they send somebody to go right outside the promised land. We'll take that. We'll say we're possessing it. And after all, the priest told us God was blessing us, right? And so the error went from one woman who bought a $200 idol to hundreds of years in the wrong place outside the promised land with people serving in a priesthood that were never supposed to. They've redefined religion to make it convenient for themselves. And if you're going to redefine religion to make it convenient, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. Religion is not supposed to be convenient. Not what it is. It's supposed to disturb you. It's supposed to get under your skin. It's supposed to keep you up at night. It's supposed to urge you on. It's supposed to challenge you, but it's not supposed to let you rest. Oh, this is nice and comfortable. I got a God right in my own house. No. So you can't redefine what God said to do. And we can come real close to that in our age if we keep going the way we're going. Redefine what God said to do it. That is not going to work. So we need to be careful. Very important little passages, aren't they? Shows how the error spreads. It spreads and gets passed down and down farther and farther until it lasts for generations. Because somebody abandoned God in the beginning. So there's the beginning. And you say, well, that's an interesting story. The next part is send chills up and down your spine. It is a horrible passage. Chilling and cold and evil. But that's what it will take to stir people up. And that's where we got to get stirred up a little. We'll see how it happens next week. We finish the book of Judges next week. Thank you.